Meredith and I have found ourselves in a bit of a strange place for the past decade or so of our lives. One or the other, or both of us, have been employees of churches for most of that time, which is quite often in and of itself a strange place, but that's not what I'm talking about. We've been employees of churches that would consider themselves evangelical, where, among other things, evangelizing, telling people the good news, is held in high esteem. Where people from adults all the way down to the kids' ministry sometimes are encouraged, trained, if necessary guilted, into sharing Jesus with their friends, co-workers, acquaintances, strangers, or at least inviting them to church. A lot of you are familiar with this type of church and might even be wondering, what's so strange about that? But here's the thing that put us in such an odd place. We, for most of that past decade, would never have even considered inviting someone to church. The idea of bringing an actual friend or acquaintance or even stranger to experience a church service at the church we not just attended but worked for was unthinkable. Our first church out of seminary was the most extreme example of this. The senior pastor was an old school preacher from West Virginia who had preached 45 minute sermons, about 43 and a half minutes of which he did in a yell. You know, like how an effective communicator might raise their voice for emphasis on an important point. Except in this case, every single word was so important that it had to be emphasized heavily. To add to the problem, most of his sermons, when you really boiled it down, had to do with how we were all miserable sinners in need of Jesus. So there was that too. And there was just no way we were going to subject a friend to that. Just no way. So we found ourselves, for the first time but not the last, working at a church that we would never invite someone to. What do you do with that? The reason this was a problem for us is that we had grown up reading passages like the one we're going to look at today from John 1. And I'm going to read a fairly long passage here because the whole story gives us a really important cycle that we are going to explore together. So this begins in John 1, 35. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples and seeing Jesus walking, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. His two disciples heard him say it, so they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned around and saw them following him, he said, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which when translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four o'clock. And Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who had heard what John said and followed Jesus. Andrew first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida from the village of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one whom Moses wrote about in the law, and the prophets wrote about too, Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip answered, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said this about him, Behold, Truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael said, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Have you believed because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And then he said, Amen, amen, I tell you. You will see the heavens opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on this Son of Man. The cycle in this passage starts with John the Baptist, who has come to see who Jesus is. And remember, when John, the author, says see, he means a deep understanding of reality. So John, the author, sets up John the Baptist's role in the narrative like this. He is a witness. In the sense, we might use the word to describe a witness in a courtroom. John the Baptist is telling what he sees and knows about Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God, he witnesses. And then two of his disciples follow. They come to know who Jesus is and go tell others. And those come and see and come to know who Jesus is and they go tell others. And the whole story ends after several complete cycles with one last proclamation, one last witness of who Jesus is by Nathaniel. You're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Which, by the way, is just two different ways of saying the same thing. The king of Israel is often referred to as God's son. This is what John wants this book, this gospel, to do. That it would proclaim who Jesus is and that the readers and hearers of the gospel would come and see. And then they would serve as witnesses themselves so that others would come and see. On and on and on. Sounds simple, right? We've all seen the incredible enthusiasm a child has when they discover something exciting and they just have to share it with you. Often when we are at the park or on a hike or something, one of our kids will come running up with what looks to me to be a fairly unremarkable rock or stick or leaf, but they just have to show it to us and then bring it home for their collection. I think at one point we had about 20 maple leaves in various states of dried outness on our front porch. And right now we have a stick collection out front because kids so desperately want us to see what's exciting to them. Shouldn't witnessing to Jesus be like that? So why isn't it? Why don't most of us at least have that same enthusiasm about inviting people to come and see Jesus? Meredith and I didn't invite people to come and see at that first church. And it wasn't just because the preacher was a yeller. It was also because of the message he was yelling. You're a sinner. Jesus can save you. It's the same message that many churches train their people to share with their friends, neighbors, acquaintances, strangers, sometimes on a napkin. But if you're like me, imagining sharing that message, you're a sinner. Jesus can save you. Imagining sharing that message with someone kind of leaves a pit in my stomach. Why is that? I mean, that's the message here in the passage. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Obviously, that's what it means to witness. That's that's the message John wants us to proclaim. It's right there. But maybe that isn't the message we should be bringing. Not because it isn't true. It is. But because it misses something important. Look at what Jesus says to the first disciples who follow him. He asks them a question. What are you looking for? 
It's a question that invited them in to come closer, to come and see, but it also has an implicit answer inside it. What are you looking for? Because whatever it is, here I am. You found it. What I want to suggest is that if the idea of witnessing seems awkward and harder than it should, that might be because we've built our understanding of what it means to witness around the proclamations in passages like this one. We found the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. When maybe we should have built our understanding of witnessing around Jesus's question. We have imitated the proclamation, but lost sight of the question. What are you looking for? Because while those proclamations are true, they aren't the only true things someone might say about Jesus, but they were the answer to what these particular people were looking for. After decades, centuries of oppression by foreign empires, the Jewish people were desperate for the Messiah, the King to come. What are you looking for? Liberation, a king to set us free. Jesus says, come and see. There's also an abundance of passages in the Old Testament that directly link the sin of Israel with the oppression the nation has experienced. Not individual sinfulness, really, but the collective turning away from God. And there's an understanding that only turning back to God, having their sin removed, will lead to their liberation as a nation, as a people. What are you looking for? The Lamb of God to take away our sin so that we will be set free. Jesus says, come and see. The proclamations in John 1 match what they were looking for. That's why those were the proclamations. But bring it back to the present. What if we asked that question of our friends, neighbors, acquaintances, strangers? What are you looking for? Imagine we could get a real honest response. What are you looking for? You might get any number of answers, but I don't think I need a Messiah to take away the sin of my people and release us from bondage to Rome is going to be one of them. Unless you know very different people than I. (laughs) And that disconnect is ultimately why Meredith and I didn't feel comfortable inviting someone to our church. We knew that the people we invited to come and see, they might come they wouldn't see. The picture of Jesus they would walk away with would mark him as someone completely irrelevant to their lives, their needs, their desires. And the problem would not be that Jesus is, in fact, irrelevant. The problem would not be that the good news has lost its goodness somehow. It's that the message had at some point gotten stuck, stuck in a true response, but to an outdated answer to Jesus's question, what are you looking for? The single biggest reason Meredith and I decided to start Pomona Valley Church, because we never thought we were going to start a church. That was not the plan. But the biggest reason that changed is that over the years, we started to realize that we wanted to be able to invite people to come and see again. We wanted to be a part of a church that was asking Jesus's question to the world around us. What are you looking for? Confident as Jesus is confident that the answer, whatever that answer might be, can be found in him. 
We want to be a part of a church that follows Jesus into the world together, bringing the good news of what we have found, what we have experienced, what we have seen, a church that witnesses for Jesus to a world desperate for good news. So how do we do that? We tell people what we know what we have found in Jesus. A witness is not someone who has memorized the right answers so they can put them down on a napkin. In fact, in some cases, I believe that's called perjury. A witness is someone who tells their story, what they have seen, what they know. Here's the Jesus that I know, the one I have experienced in my own life. Here's the way Jesus has helped me find what I am looking for. Come and see. Here's the Jesus who helped me find a place to belong. Come and see. Here's the Jesus who offered me grace in place of shame. Come and see. Here's the Jesus who was with me in the midst of unbearable pain and suffering and anxiety. Come and see. Here's the Jesus who is just as mad about the injustices of this world and just as committed to righting those wrongs as I am. Come and see. If we take our cues from Jesus' question, not the proclamations, it has two profound impacts. First, witnessing becomes more accessible. We all can tell our story. We all can say how we have experienced Jesus, what he has meant to us, how he has helped us find what we are looking for. It might take a little thought so we can explain it clearly, but we're all capable of it. We tell parts of our story all the time. And second, it places our witnessing, our invitation within the natural flow of a relationship. The witnesses in John 1 could make their proclamations because they already knew what the people were looking for. And they knew that their experience of Jesus would connect with that longing. When we get to know people, we hear hints of their answers to that question, what are you looking for? And if we pay attention to that person and to what the Holy Spirit is, is saying to us as well, we might sense when our own experience with Jesus might connect with their desires, when our story, our witness might be very good news to the person we're speaking with. So who has Jesus been to you? What have you seen? Could it be that that answer counts, that it's good enough, that you really have been a witness to Jesus, and that God not only could, but wants to use that answer as an invitation to others so that they might come and see? God, thank you for giving us eyes to see. Please continue to give us eyes to see. Eyes to see you eyes to see the world, eyes to recognize the opportunity to introduce people to the hope we found in you and to invite them to come and see. Amen.